Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. The reading for today comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 20 and 27. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus, I'm just in awe of the way you love and minister to us through your word. Lord, this passage is full of glorious and beautiful things that are meant to encourage us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would work a great work through the power of your Holy Spirit to give us hope today, to grant us faith to believe all of your promises to us, Jesus. All of your promises to us, God, that you have, that you've made, so that we would not be troubled, but that we would hope and trust in you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, for many people... <clears throat> The, the hope that we see proclaimed and talked about 
all the time at Christmas, the joy that's on the display, the, the songs that are sung, that very hope and that very joy can seem so discouraging. I was talking to someone last week in my own neighborhood, and they were someone who had lost hope. And we're just talking about how difficult Christmas was. Because they see all that's meant to be and supposed to be, and yet here they are, just in the brokenness of this world without hope. See, when Jesus was born and the angels proclaimed peace on earth and goodwill to men. And yet when we see great suffering around us or we experience great suffering in our lives, we can wonder and we can ask these questions. We can say things like, why was Jesus Jesus born if he came just to leave us? Why was he born at all if he came just to depart? Why was Jesus born if there's still suffering in this world? What good has Jesus' first coming really done? Here I am in my suffering and my pain. See, Advent in the Christmas calendar, the Christian calendar, the four weeks prior to Christmas, and then the time of celebrating Jesus' first coming and looking forward to his second, but it's a time of grappling with this question. Because Advent is the reality that we live between the two comings of Jesus. A time when great hope and joy and salvation has entered the world on the one hand, but a time when, let's face it, All is not yet well. And we still long and look forward to his return. And this tension I want to live in and and look at in this morning's message from John 14. Because there is such good news for us in John 14. When we look at that passage, it turns out we're not the only ones who have asked this question of Jesus. We're not the only ones who have been troubled that he was departing. His disciples were too. And Jesus spoke to them and he explained to them in his kindness and his love as their savior that he is departing not to abandon them, but to bless them. That they will not be worse off because he has left, but that they would be better off because he is going to the father. So we're going to see that in this text. We're going to look at how Jesus ministered and teaches his disciples and the tension of this same struggle, the suffering of this world that we experience. And we'll see that only by departing will Jesus prepare our home with the Father. Only by departing will he enable us to do greater works than he did. Only by departing will he empower and comfort us with the Holy Spirit. So if you're looking for three points, just the one-word summary or two-word summary would be home, point one, greater works, point two, and Holy Spirit, point three. We're going to get into it right away. Look at our first point, home. We'll start there. And let me say a brief word about the context of the passage that we've come to. So John 14, actually the book of John in general, 
is understood as a, a, a passion narrative, the, the stories pertaining to Jesus' death with an introduction. <laughs> it's, it's largely focusing in on the last days of Jesus' life. And already here, early on in the book, in John chapter 14, this is a passage that records Jesus' words during his final meal with his friends. His final meal with his closest friends, his 12 disciples. And it's an emotional meal for everybody. Already, Jesus has said in both chapter 12, verse 27, and chapter 13, verse 21, that he himself is personally deeply distressed. Jesus is troubled. And why shouldn't he be? He knows and he's been telling everyone that the hour that he was born for is approaching. That he is on his way to accomplish the mission that God has given him. He's going to the cross. He's going to suffer, to be tortured, and to die, to bear the penalty of sin upon his shoulders as our substitute to save us. He's deeply distressed. But his disciples are too. And they're distressed for a different reason. They're distressed because Jesus has been telling them, I am going away. And they're upset. That's the context. That's what happens leading into this passage. And it's important because it helps us to notice the compassion and the kindness of our Lord Jesus. That though his distress is no doubt far greater than the distress of his disciples. He's going to bear the weight of the judgment for sin on his own shoulders. And yet in their distress, he ministers to them. Look at John 14 verses 1 to 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. The first thing I want you to hear this morning is just simply the words of Jesus to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Whatever you're facing this morning, Scripture is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. And what he's calling you to do, and the reason why Jesus has said these things, is to call you to faith to himself. To trust that he is the Savior that God has sent. That every promise that he has made for you will be completed. You can trust him. Hope in him. Christ has died Christ has risen. Christ will come again. 
hope in God. Hear his words this morning. And more than this, Jesus says this. He calls the disciples to to believe in God, to trust in him. But also, he explains to them that he is departing not to leave them, not to leave us in our suffering, but to prepare a home where we will be with him forever. That's why he's gone. It's amazing. It's this incredible promise. In my father's house are many rooms. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. You can bank on this promise. Now, I I love this passage. I think a lot of us love this passage. It's hard not to be moved by just hearing this passage. But the richness of what Jesus is saying needs to be unpacked a bit for us to really get it. And I think some of us are maybe confused by this passage um, because we remember an older translation that says in my, uh, I, uh, how does it say it? I'm going to get it wrong. That there are many mansions. Has anyone heard of the many mansions? No one's heard it? There are many mansions? You know that comes from an old translation from William Tyndall from the 1500s. And, uh, and mansions back then, it didn't mean what it means today. Right? So we think Belmont Avenue. Right? We're like, oh, it's going to be great up there on the hill by myself. No one to bother me. So rich in heaven with Jesus. But that is such a consumeristic, individualistic take on this text and not at all what it means. The Greek word mone, that's used, uh, translated mansions or here, rooms, it means dwelling place. And what's interesting is that we have different conceptions of this passage, but neither heaven nor mansions are actually mentioned. But home is. Home. Just by a show of hands, for how many of you, just by saying the word home, how many of you, is that a weighty word? Home. Home. You know, in my life, there have been few more profound experiences than the way that I deeply long for home. It's like a characteristic desire in my heart. I mean, to be honest, like it would be a little bit emotional in this section because I'm full with that longing today, even to the point of tears. Longing for home. And I think if we unpack it a bit, you'll find that if it doesn't connect right now, it maybe connects in a, in a, in a way for you as well. Because I think a longing for home, a, a longing for a true and a good home, a place of belonging, a place of security, a place of joy instead of the sadness and the sorrow. And it's a universal human longing. Who longs for home? Long for home. But longing for home in our lives as human beings is a bit of a strange experience because it's often deceptive. It's often like you're, you're grasping at a mirage or at a vapor that kind of appears and shapeshifts. And once you think you've found it, it's gone again. And it's just elusive. It's hard, it's hard to grab hold of. So I'm going to share a little bit about my life just to try to explain this. You know, when I lived in the United States, um, I, I liked it well enough. Louisville was great. Um, and I thought at times while I was there that my longing for home was just a longing to go back to Vancouver. That's what I thought it was. But when I got in my car and 
and all my things were packed and Heather was in the airplane and I was driving um, after five years, uh, I, I did experience the joy of the homeward journey. I just was so excited, so full of joy. I'm going home. But when I arrived, I realized that my home had changed. It was different now. I'd changed. It was like that, that moving river and that point in time that was nostalgic and I longed for it. It was gone and never to be found again. And though I had come home geographically, I wasn't yet home where I belonged. And for me today, living in Vancouver, it's becoming more and more my home. You are here. You are largely, my whole identity is, is my home. My family is here. My family is being raised here. And yet, it's becoming more and more clear that it's still not my home. It's not the home that my heart beats for. See, Christ City, I wanted to unpack this a little bit because it's the home that we long for. The home that we were made for that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. See, when Jesus says that in his Father's house are many rooms, he's talking at this beautiful bedrock idea in the ancient Israelite mind. He's talking about the Father's house, something in Hebrew that's called the Beit Av, the house of the Father. I got a slide showing a picture Uh, from archaeology about some of this. Keep it up for a second. See, archaeology has shown that the father's house in the ancient Israelites' mind, it wasn't a house so much as houses, a family compound. And these compounds would often have a wall around them. So uh, you can kind of see the wall on the backside there. But imagine in a big circle as a family compound with these different four-room, two-story buildings with their backs facing that wall, open in the front, facing the middle for the courtyard in the compound of the father's house. See, in that family compound, Jesus is saying, there are many houses. In my father's house, in his home, the Beit Av, there are many houses. See, and in that ancient society, we need to unpack this even still more. There would often be three generations in the bait of, sometimes even more, all under the father. And in that ancient society, your whole life was tied to your father's house. So think about this. Your sense of belonging was tied to this house. Your wealth on this planet and your future prospects are tied to this house the foundation of your happiness, and even your identity as a human being are found in the bait of and your relation to it. And if your father loved the Lord God, and if he served him in righteousness and love and faithfulness and justice, then your future and the future of even your family was bright and the house of your father. But if you were an orphan or you were a widow outside of the bait of, you were vulnerable and displaced and in desperate need of adoption. See, friends, 
Here's the point. Jesus was born. He lived. He died. He was resurrected. He ascended into heaven as a human being to bring orphaned humanity. Humanity that does not have a bait off because of our sin. Humanity that has no inheritance, no security, no future into the joy and the wealth of God most high in our father's house. In my father's house, there are many rooms. And if I go on and prepare a place for you, I will take you so that you can be where I am. See, in this home, I think in Scripture, there are few words that capture the sense of what Jesus is talking about in its fullness in Revelation 21, 3 to 4. So I want to just ask you, open your hearts, listen to the Spirit of God through his word in this passage. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself, our father, I'm inserting that, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. See, Jesus has departed to prepare our home. And Jesus came in the first place, Christ City, to show us the way home. Look at verses five to six. Thomas said to him, he's all upset. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also and from now on you do know him and you have seen him. What Jesus is saying is that he isn't just the one to show you the way. He is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. On planet earth, one person has come to show us where we are going. To reveal the father to whom we are going to us. And his name is Jesus Christ. So have you tasted and have you seen that God is good in the person of Jesus Christ by his spirit and through his word? Have you seen that? Do you know his taste, his smell, the fragrance of life that is in Jesus this morning. If you do, then you have begun to know him as the way. He is already at work in your life, drawing you home to the Father. Drawing you closer and closer. And the work that he's begun, he will be faithful to complete. He will bring you all the way home. So I, I want to talk to you then. This season, this time, 
when our hearts are heavy in the suffering and the sorrows of earth, when you long for home, Christ City, look to Jesus. Feast on Jesus. Pray to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Pour out your hearts to Jesus. Worship Jesus. Take hope in the words that Jesus has spoken. Fix your eyes on him, on home. And can I encourage you, don't get distracted by the false promises of home. Because they're all around us. At Christmas, it's a time that's full of these false promises. Christmas is hilariously commercialized. It's just, it's really funny and how bad it is, right? Wealth, stuff, commercialization, that's just a false promise of home. There are many others. Comfort and pleasure and worldly success. Don't set your hearts on false offers of home. They'll only shipwreck your faith and keep you from what you truly long for. Fix your eyes on Jesus and live with patient endurance, obeying God as you journey toward the home you were made for. He's gone to prepare a place for you. See, the first word of comfort Jesus gives his disciples is that he is departing for a reason. To prepare their home with him forever. But if that's all that Jesus said, then we kind of be like people sitting at the airport in the gate, twiddling our thumbs, waiting for the airplane to arrive. And this is our life now. Right? Praise God that's not all that Jesus said. He didn't say that he was leaving and we should do nothing. Jesus departed so that we could continue the great work that he's begun. I want you to look with me at our second point, greater works in verses 8 to 11. And the passage continues. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. I just want to look at this first. I want you to notice how in these verses, Jesus doubles down on the fact we've already talked about briefly, that if we've seen Jesus, we've seen the Father. This is a huge theme in John, by the way. In the first sermon on Advent season, we looked at John chapter 1, verse 18 in that sermon about how Jesus is the one who shows us God, who reveals the Father to us, who makes him known to us. We've come to know God the Father because it is Jesus who shows him to us. But not only does Jesus show us the Father, Jesus in his earthly life perfectly, 100%, without fail, obeys the Father. Such that the Father does his work through Jesus. Verse 10 says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. He's, he's putting himself under the authority of the Father. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. What's being described here is that Jesus is like that obedient and loving child, perfectly obeying their parent, their father, so much so that we see the father in him. 
So much so that the father can even be said to be doing his work through him. Connection is intimate. But there's more here. Because look at verse 12. And you can leave the slide up uh, for a couple minutes from 12 to, to 14. Jesus says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And if they're Jesus' works and he does the works of the Father and the Father does his works through him, doing the works that Jesus does is also doing the Father's work, right? See, not only does Jesus obey the Father, Jesus is inviting us into the same relationship of obedience he has with the Father so that we do the same works, so that we do the Father's works. And Jesus continues in verse 12. He says, not only that, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Of all the verses in this passage, I think this one's the most surprising. What does that mean? Just think back to Jesus' miracles. Uh, He raised the dead. (laughs) He calmed the storm. He made the blind see, the deaf hear. Is he saying that we're going to do more wonderful, extravagant miracles than even Jesus did? I don't think exactly so. Although there have been many miracles in the life and the history of the church. No, he doesn't say we will do more impressive miracles, but greater works. The greater works of building the kingdom of God. And this is what has happened in the history of the church. Because Jesus has gone to the Father, the church has grown. And as the church has grown, the church has multiplied good works exponentially. As person after person has entered into relationship with God as an obedient child to a loving father, they have done the father's work in this world. Not just one human physical being as Jesus was on earth, but multitudes doing the work of the father. But it's not as if the church is doing this work on our own strength. Jesus is really clear about that. The church does it through prayer in the name of Jesus to the Father. This is prayer-dependent work, Christ City. Look at verses 12 to th- or 13 to 14 then. Whatever you ask in my name, is it up there? Yeah, we've got it there. Good. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. See, what's going on here is that the church is doing the works of the Father, but because they are prayerfully dependent works. The church throughout history has always cried out to God in unity with God's own will in the name of Jesus, the firstborn son. And they've cried out that the gospel would advance, that the lost would be found, that the lonely would be comforted, that the hurting in this world would know healing and comfort, that they would have courage themselves as a church to boldly talk to the person they're scared of talking to, to share Jesus with them and praying that God would soften that person's heart to believe. They've prayed for miracles. They've prayed for changed lives, for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And God, 
through Jesus has answered those prayers. And the works of the Father on earth have multiplied such that Jesus' words have come true. Greater works will you do because I have gone to the Father. That's wild. Like that, that boggles my mind. And yet it's true. For 2,000 years, this work has continued. It's continued. And all over the world, the life of Jesus has multiplied in his kingdom. And these works haven't stopped today. They are continuing here, Christ City, through us. But not because of us, because of Jesus. Because he's at work within us. So can I encourage you? Pray. There's nothing we can do at this church that can be done without prayer. There's no good work that we can do in the Father's name, in Jesus' name, without prayer. Pray boldly, but can I also encourage you, make it your life's goal to imitate Jesus, to imitate your Father. See, this season, I think sometimes we get caught marveling in the humility of God come to us in the manger and we forget that we're called to imitate that humility. That we're called to go out and love and care for our neighbor. Or even, to use some of Jesus' words, to love and to care for Christ in our neighbor. Because Jesus has come and cared for us in Jesus. So in their distress about his leaving, Jesus taught the disciples first that because he goes away, he'll prepare their home. And second, because he goes away, they will do greater works than even he did. And third, because he goes away, he will return to them through the Holy Spirit. So look at our third point, the gift of the Spirit in verses 16 to 18. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So another show of hands. How many of you in this room were ever forgotten somewhere by your parents? That's a lot more hands than I thought I'd see. That's really funny. Uh, how was that experience? <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> see, the disciples' concern here, I think, is a little bit like that experience. They're really worried they're going to be abandoned in this world. We're just going to be abandoned and left here. But listen to Jesus' promise. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. Christ City, Jesus promises he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He's a God who will never abandon you. He continues, he says, I will come to you. Praise God. He's come to us through the Holy Spirit. See, 40 days after Jesus was resurrected, he ascended into heaven. And from heaven, he poured out the Holy Spirit 
on his church. You know what the book of Acts calls the Holy Spirit, by the way? The Spirit of Jesus. Because as Christians, when we look at the Bible and we understand what it teaches about God, we see that our God is one God in three persons. Jesus is God. The Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. But there's only one God. And because Jesus has ascended into heaven as a human being, forever bringing together, reconciling the rift between God and humanity, there is a resurrected human in the presence of God Most High, Christ City. United with God Most High. The rift between us and God because of our sin, it's healed in the humanity of Jesus. And because that's the case, because he has ascended to heaven, what has he been enabled to do? Pour out his own presence on us. God has come to dwell in us. He's not left us as orphans. Because Jesus ascended. This is the only way that it could happen. Because he has ascended, he has come to us. I mean, just think about it for a second. And how many places was Jesus on planet Earth when he was here physically? One place. How many square feet did he occupy? Two-ish? Not very much. If he pours out his spirit, if he lives and dwells in his church as he promises and says that he does by his spirit, how many square feet does Jesus occupy on earth today? I mean, it's a lot. <laughs> Billions. Billions of square feet. He's come to us. He's with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never abandon us. No matter what our distress is in this world, he is with us as our helper, as our comforter, as our counselor. The Greek word is paraclete, and it's a difficult word to translate in English, but it means all of these things and so much more. And in scripture, we read what the Holy Spirit is to us and how he works in us in a multitude of ways. In Romans 5 verse 5, we read that because of the Holy Spirit, God's love is poured into our hearts. God, who is love, takes up dwelling within us, filling us with his own love. Because of the Holy Spirit, God himself is present with us, even comforting us in our sorrows. And the Romans 8 verses 26 to 27 says that he even intercedes for us when we don't know how to talk to God about how much distress and suffering we're in. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. You have an intercessor in heaven, Jesus, the resurrected Messiah at the right hand of God. You have an intercessor within you, the Holy Spirit of God. He hears your prayers. His spirit is counseling us, John 16 says. Bringing to our remembrance the word of God as we read it and prompting us and convicting us and growing us in obedience. His spirit is changing us from the inside out to be more like Jesus, according to Galatians chapter 5. Filling us with the fruit, not of sinful flesh, but of God himself by his spirit. And the Spirit's presence is empowering us for every good work. Acts chapter 1 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. So think about this. Jesus is in you. And here's the question for us then as we face the suffering of this world. 
Would we then have received more comfort from Jesus if he had stayed physically? No. He would be further from us. Would Jesus have done more good work in this world, pushing back sin and darkness and despair, if he had stayed physically? No. Just look at the disciples in the book of Acts. They're quavering in fear without the Spirit. The Spirit comes and suddenly there's multiplications of Jesus on planet Earth. (laughs) Would we be closer to God in our eternal home with him if Jesus had stayed? No. We would not have the Spirit, God's presence within us. No, we in this world are better in every way because Jesus has departed to the Father. So this Christmas, I want you to remember this. Jesus was born for you long ago. Not so you would have a meaningless celebration that has no impact on your life today, but so that your life would be changed powerfully and unalterably as you await his return. But he didn't come just to save you in your private individualistic relationship with Jesus. He came not just to change your life, but through you to change the lives of others. He departed and he left us his peace so that you would be equipped to share his peace with others. Jesus says in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I just want to end with two short things. First, if you do not know the peace of Jesus yet this morning, you can. That's why he came. All it takes is is confessing your sins to this God. Crying out for him to save you. And all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Second, if you know this peace, then you need to ask yourself a question. Who then has God put in my life to share it with? This Christmas. It's not meant just for you. It's meant that you would do the works of the Father. That you would share his love and his peace with others. Can I pray for you? God, we were astounded by your words. John 14, John 14 through 16. Lord, this is a precious passage to your church. Lord, I pray that you would use it now for all the fruit you intend to come from it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.